It is Locked On Jazz for the 27th of July. Toronto Raptors, a player for Donovan Mitchell. Kind of interesting and ironic. We'll dig into that. Malik Beasley and Jared Butler. A deeper dive through some of the numbers on what they would bring to the Utah Jazz. Over-unders for the NBA and John Hollinger with some brilliant insight on what might be happening in NBA player moves. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. You are Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. Thanks so much for tuning in and making Locked on Jazz your first listen of the day. We are free and available on all podcast apps as well as on YouTube. And thanks to all of you who have given us a five-star review. If you haven't, we greatly appreciate it. Or a thumbs up on YouTube and all those who are part of the YouTube community and conversations. It's great to watch and see all of you interacting and to know the show brings that uh, to everyone. So the latest rumor on Donovan Mitchell is the Toronto Raptors. What's ironic to me about the Toronto Raptors is the Raptors were really the team to me where the Jazz were going to make a trade that would have given them a chance to improve, not to start this rebuild process. The whole entire offseason, I had really looked at the Raptors as that's where you move Rudy Gobert and you come up with like an OG Ananobi or something and you try to rebuild the Jazz uh, franchise around you know, something other than Rudy, if you're set on trading Rudy, or if you're going to trade Donovan, you trade Donovan to Toronto and you keep Rudy. So it's 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 not surprising that Toronto's name kind of keeps picking up here um, in the sense that I do feel like Toronto's kind of not quite there yet with their roster, and there is going to be some pressure we talked about yesterday on the show. Those teams who eventually are going to get into the pressure cooker and have to try to make a move of some sort, and I think Toronto is probably one of those teams that, that ends up in that circumstance. The The trade gets really interesting if you're doing something with Toronto because when we first talked about it, it was always OG Ananobi or Gary Trent, and you're trying to then build those two around Donovan or Rudy and move forward. The The thing about what the Jazz, if they trade Donovan, it seemingly are on the verge of is this you know entire rebuild. You're tearing it pretty much all the way down. And I get a bunch of trade packages from people with uh, an email and I think there's something you have to understand Danny Ainge with the Celtics did something really that's unprecedented he, he traded with Brooklyn he got those two number three picks in in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown one of them was number one they traded number three and he he was able to use those picks to rebuild an entire franchise that's not the model that was incredible that was overwhelming but that's not the model the model we're playing with here is what we're seeing Oklahoma City do, what we're seeing Houston do, and that is you're going to acquire a bunch of draft picks from other teams, as the Jazz just did with Minnesota, as they seemingly are going to do with the uh, with the Donovan Mitchell trade if they make that trade, and you're taking those picks. Those picks are going to be picks that you aggregate 
adding the packages to go get another player or picks that you're going to use to fill out your roster. But what you're really trying to do is what the process was, which is get enough shots at a star, superstar player, Luka Doncic, someone of that nature, who's going to change your franchise. And the only way to do that is to lose yourself, is to put yourself in that position that Oklahoma City and Houston have done recently. And so now Houston has drafted Chet Holmgren and Josh Giddy, and we'll, we'll see whether those guys are enough. Houston's drafted Jalen Green and Jabari Smith, and we'll see whether those guys are enough. But the fact is, to get your top five pick, really your top three is what you want, pick, you're going to have to do that yourself. So where we used to be talking, why that is relevant, is when we used to be talking to Toronto and saying, hey, OG Ananobi, Gary Trent, I don't know that we're actually in a position right now where you're trying to bring in two quality NBA starters who are pushing you forward because if you make this deal, I would assume that you're probably moving OG Boyan Bogdanovich and Rudy Gobert, or excuse me, and Mike Conley, and possibly some others at some point here, and so therefore you're you're actually trying to get yourself in the position of those top three. So suddenly now you're talking to Toronto after the Rudy Gobert trade in a manner where maybe it's Gary Trent because you actually think you can move Gary Trent for another asset, and it's really it's four first round draft picks. Um, that's all Toronto can give you. You're not allowed to trade more than four first-round draft picks unless you have, as the Knicks have, acquired other picks, which is what, in theory, makes the Knicks interesting. Toronto has done a really good job as a franchise, but I would frankly don't mind doing unprotected picks with Toronto down the road. It's not going to be a free agent destination. It's an awesome city. It's one of the best cities in North America, but it's not a free agent destination, and it is a franchise that I think has the possibility where things could fall off, and if you have a 2027 or 2029 pick, it seems unlikely with Masai Ujiri there, but you never know, um, And it, where it could fall off. Same thing with Minnesota, right? If something were to go wrong in Minnesota, they're not about to acquire free agents in Minnesota. Anthony Edwards suddenly wants out. Cat decides he hates playing with Rudy. Next thing you know, you have your 2027, 2029 picks. We may regret having the 2029 pick be the one that's protected. I'm sure that was negotiation, but, like, that's my... And so Toronto's a city that kind of fits that as well. New York should never have lost as much as it has. It just has shown to be that way. Um, But, you know, so the Toronto deal, while the instinct is to say, oh, we could get OG Ananobi and we could restart the rebuild really fast and it could accelerate it, yes. But on the other end, what you're really trying to do is not... I don't think that the Jazz are sitting here trying to rest on that, well, we're going to get lucky with one of Minnesota's or Toronto's picks, if we were to trade Donovan to Toronto, or the Knicks picks, if we trade Donovan, what you're trying to do is actually you're going to control yourself what you do and where you get those other picks, which you're trying to get in the top three for probably two or three or four years of trying to take swings at that while you're using your other picks like Oklahoma City did last year for Jalen Williams. Twice. I don't know if you know that, but Oklahoma City drafted players by the exact same name with their collection of picks so that's the one thing as we build these trade deadlines and we look at um that that what we talked about so much with toronto over the past i think actually switches now but it is interesting to have toronto being mentioned there and all of this is super interesting when you start to look at the over under win totals that kind of went out for the first time so and the reason is because 
Vegas is usually fairly right on these things. And you can see where some of the pressure points are going to happen unless Vegas misses really badly. And Vegas only usually misses bad on teams that are over bet. So they'll play the Lakers high because they can make money on that. But otherwise, they don't miss usually by very much. So let's look at the over-unders here in a second. Then we'll look at Jared Butler and Malik Beasley with a little more depth. But the over-unders came out, and I think it's an interesting little look to see whether the Knicks decide they have to make a deal or whether Toronto's interested in making a deal um, or Charlotte or someone like that, where where the pressure might kick in um, a tiny bit on these teams uh, before it's over. We'll continue and do that. Today's show is brought to you in part by BetOnline.net. BetOnline, the home for all of your betting needs. They've got... uh, all the Major League Baseball games that are going on for you as well. I'm looking over here at the latest lines uh, for those of you are watching on YouTube. I always like to look at the one on Bet Online that's got the the pitcher's duel of the day and the offensive game of the day. The pitcher's duel over-under set at 7 is the Houston Astros and the Oakland A's. It's Javier against Irvin, and they have that one over-under at 7. They also have the San Diego Padres and the Detroit Tigers set at 7. That might be due to feudal bats. Who knows? See, unless the, unless the Padres go get Soto. Um, the, over, the offensive game of the day, the Rockies are at home, so it's always the Rockies um, at 11 and a half. Other and they have all sorts of NBA futures and props available for you as well. At Bet Online, the Celtics have now moved in one day. The Celtics moved to now plus 400 as the favorite. The Bucks at plus 600. The Warriors at plus 700. Clippers at plus 750. Phoenix at plus 950. And the Buck Nets are at plus 1400. Boy, that is just like moving on a daily basis, frankly. Um, going on. Kind of interesting to see. And they still have all the rookie lines out. Chet Holmgren, Jabari Smith, Jaden Ivey, Keegan Murray, um, Paulo Benchero. Uh, they have as an over-under at 17.5 points a game. It's all at Bet Online. Did you take advantage of the cookie dough puff yet over at Built? They are out. The cookie dough puff, cookie dough chunk puffs. They're great. I've had them. They Literally have three little pieces of cookie dough sitting there and then somehow have the most incredible macros. That is what makes the uh, Built Bar that great because it's hard to tell whether it's a protein bar or whether it's a candy bar. 160 calories, 15 grams of protein, and 8 grams of sugar all in your Built Bar cookie dough chunk. It is just remarkable. While you're at it, you might want to get the brownie batter chunk uh, puff as well. All available at Built. Use the promo code LOCKED15. All right, let's look at the over-unders. Well, let's see where David put the over-unders would be the first thing we have to do. Um, This is disappointing. I think I'm always so well-organized, and then I wonder whether or not I just covered it up. Hmm. I'll have to look here in a second because I have my Malik Beasley thing all the way pulled up, but I will have to find the over-unders for you here in just one second. Uh, As it was uh, the... They're out, and what I think's interesting here about these over/unders are if, in fact, the NBA, you know, everyone's right on this, then what you have taking place is you have some really interesting pressure points that are that are coming up because of the fact that um, the there are teams like the Knicks and the Toronto Raptors um, who are at a level in which. You know, you probably are 
you're not going to be able – they're not going to have the success they're expecting to have early in the season. And so then all of a sudden there's a huge pressure cooker on whether or not um, they make the, you know, make the plate, have to make a move or not. Um, and that to me is kind of the area where I think the Jazz might be waiting a little bit to see whether or not those kind, whether they can you know, make some progress um, in some of these deals. Let me see if I can find it. I actually apologize. I had it up, I thought – um, in one of my windows, all prepared for the show, and can't seem to find it. So now I, um, I'm kind of scrambling to see if it's there, and it's not, and it's not where I thought I could find it again this morning. So uh, apologize for that. Let me see if I can quickly find the NBA over-unders. It was um, on the lines. And um, we were off the board, by the way, which is kind of the um, interesting one um, for is that they have us and they have the Knicks and they have a bunch of people off the board um, for this year coming up. And so that makes it um, a little funky because we don't have, you know, we're not going to have. So here it is. The Celtics are at the best, have the best record in the NBA at 55.5. But let's walk through these. Apologize for that. Thank you for sticking with me. Um, so Celtics are one at 55.5. Bucks are two at 51.5. Okay, then there's a bunch of Western Conference teams. So the West is dominant again, according to this. Philadelphia's at 50.5. Miami's at 49.5. So, all right, does that, Miami, that's a pretty big drop. Does that force them to try to get into something? They're obviously trying to get into Durant. Hawks are 47.5. The Raptors are sixth at 44.5 on the win total. The Bulls are in the play-in game at 42.5. If the Bulls are in the play-in game after all they did last year and the way they started, there's a huge pressure cooker for them to make a deal. If I had to make a guess right now, the Jazz wait this out. That's the team I would watch. Eight is Cleveland at 42.5. And Charlotte is nine at 35.5. And the Knicks fit in there somewhere, but they're off the board. Right? The Knicks and the Jazz and the Nets and the Lakers are not in there somewhere. So... As I actually walk through that, we don't know what happens with the Nets, but the Nets bring everybody back. Then you have the Celtics at one, the Bucks at two. You probably have Philly at three, Miami at four, and the Nets at five. Hawks get to six. Now all of a sudden, Toronto's in a playing game. Okay, well that, if, if the Nets don't un, do this thing, if Toronto's in a playing game, then they've got to do something. As nice as they love Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi and Fred Van Vliet and all these young players they've developed and the amazing work that Masai Ujiri's done, if they're at 44.5, they've got to do something. And if the Bucks are suddenly at 8 at 42.5 and the Knicks are at 9 and the Hornets are at 10, like, that's, a pressure, that's going to be a pressure cooker moment. And those are the things that Danny Ainge is waiting for. So, you know, they don't want to give up this. I don't want to give up that. Right, but the Knicks don't want to get in the playing game. And nor do the Raptors. And nor do the Bulls. And when you're at that level, you're suddenly going to have to give up another pick. In the West, by the way, Clippers are and Suns are 1-2, just to share. Nuggets are 3. Warriors are 4 at 50.5, tied with the Memphis Grizzlies as well. Minnesota comes in at 6 at 49.5. Dallas is at 7 at 47.5 in a playing game with Luka Doncic. Clippers 1, Suns 2, Nuggets 3, Warriors 4, Grizzlies 5, Timberwolves 6, Dallas 7, Pelicans 8. Boy, those are some good teams, and this is obviously where, you know, the Jazz made the have seemingly if they trade Donovan have made the decision that this was just too much, right? That just to try to break through that was probably too much. Uh, following the Pelicans is Portland at forty point five. Again, Lakers are off the board. Jazz are off the board. 
Um, and then Kings all the way down at 32.5, which for all their moves would that be disappointing. The, if you're trying to get in the lowest end of the league, if the Jazz are literally trying to be top bottom three, it looks like you're going to have to get below 25 wins. They have the Spurs at 23.5, the Thunder at 25.5, and the Pacers at 25.5. Um, so kind of an interesting thing. And I think what that does, when you look at that, is it gives you um, some kind of understanding of where the that, like, if I'm the Jazz, I'm certainly looking at that. Like, where are the pressure points? Where do those pressure points kind of kick in and impact teams and make them get forced to have to make moves in this process? Um, the other one, and this is really geeky. It's probably the most important thing we're going to talk about today, but it's so geeky that I'm going to try to keep it simple. But I've talked about this a lot, is where the salary cap is going and how it impacts us. So... On a little bit on one level, we talked about Rudy Gobert's you know, massive contract. Eh, and I never thought it would be that massive in the sense that the $40 million contract in 2026-27 is likely to be the $25 million contract of today. So the, the NBA has a new TV deal. All expectations are it's going to be mammoth. Watch the NFL Sunday ticket deal as it's being done right now if you're interested in this stuff. It's a precursor because right now that is a fight between Amazon, Apple, and Google on who gets NFL Sunday ticket. And they then show they can get NFL Sunday ticket and get the viewership. Then they go bid for the NBA, and suddenly the NBA is not a battle of TNT and ESPN anymore. It is going to be a battle of Google, Amazon, and though in that world instead to see who picks up. Um, and maybe Disney's going to use it for ESPN+, um, and it becomes incredibly valuable for these so the feeling is that there's going to be a 50 to 60 percent increase in the cap over the next decade it's going to be a 200 million dollar cap it's going to be a 70 million dollar max player it's going to be you know 20 million dollars is the average salary in the nba that's that's where we're heading now as you cringe and and Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. Remember that this is all set based on revenue. 51-49. The owners get 51 and the players get 49. So as the revenue goes up, everybody wins and this continues. What this means that is super interesting that John Hollinger wrote a really long piece in The Athletic about that really only John Hollinger could write is that there are a bunch of players in the NBA who are going to become almost impossible to extend and the reason is because an extension on a player's contract has you're working off the last year of their deal with a certain percentage of raises. But as the cap increases as this absolutely astronomical rate, even players that are under a max contract, their extension will be so much less than if they went to the open market and got a max contract on the new salary cap that no one's going to take extensions. Even somebody like Donovan Mitchell or John ja Morant, who's on a max deal, could end up in a circumstance where they're not willing to take an extension because it would cost them money. And now as a team, no matter what you offer them in the extension, they're going to free agency. OG Ananobi in Toronto fits into this. Jalen Brown fits into this a little bit, which is, might be why they're suddenly talking about tr- a possibility of trading him to the, to the Nets. Though if you listen to Locked On Sports Today, yesterday with John Corrales, about it, he simply said, "Hey, if this this was Sean Marks trying to create a market for Kevin Durant, where one doesn't exist right now, um, 
and you know he may very well be right, saying basically, hey, if they wanted to do this deal, it'd be done by now, which is a, which is a really good point. Uh, by the way, Locked On Sports Today is your daily podcast for about 22 minutes every day, updating you on all things sports. It's also available on uh, the Roku app on Locked On Sports Atlanta and Locked On Sports Minnesota if you download either Locked On Sports Atlanta or Locked On Sports uh, Minnesota. So anyway, Hollinger brings this up, and and what's what's important about this is it's going to start dictating deals. Teams are not going to be able to um, teams are not going to be able to know that they have players under contract for long terms and it's going to lead to even more player movement in the future when this cap increases and you're trying to sign players and you're not able to. It's going to have a massive, massive impact. All right, Malik Beasley and Jared Butler are members of the Utah Jazz through the Rudy Gobert trade. B-Ball Index is a fabulous site that does incredible kind of full in-depth looks at each of the players. We're going to look at both Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt coming up here to give you a little bit more insight on what they do well. As, as of right now, it looks like they both would be in the, possibly in the Jazz starting lineup um, for this upcoming season. Uh, today's show, a Wednesday edition of the show, is brought to you by our friends over at Murdoch Hyundai, located at 4646 South State Street, also located in Logan and Linden. There's been a total uptick in people reaching out to me recently, whether it's for an Ionic 5 or a guy in Atlanta reached out to me because his nephew's moving out there and he needs a Tucson to, to drive to Atlanta. and It's just great to hear from everyone. So if you're looking for a car right now and you want to look at a Hyundai, and from my opinion, when you do the research, what you'll find out about a Hyundai is you get the most value for your dollar for all the bells, whistles, and safety features. And I've backed this up now with three purchases. So I'm not just speaking, but that is truly what I see when I look at the analysis for all the dollar figures, you money you're spending, what you're getting, bells, whistles, safety features, safety ratings. You're absolutely knocking out of the park when you get a Hyundai. And the Murdoch family has been in Utah for over 80 years. Great to deal with. So if you're looking for a car right now, feel free to email me at dlock09 at gmail.com, and we'll set you up with a VIP meeting. To tell me, are you going to Linden? Are you going to Murray? Are you going to Logan? That'll speed up a step, and I'll get you hooked up right away, and you'll get the Murdoch Locked On VIP treatment when you get there. There's been a huge uptick in that recently, so thanks so much for everybody's emailed me on that account. Today's show is also brought to you by our favorite Steve Carter over at Intercap Lending. Is there anyone better no, there's not. No one treats people better than Steve Carter. We have done did our refinance with him twice. Our COO of Lockdown did a refinance with him. Multiple people. And right now the world's getting a little funky. And if you're going to do a refi or something of that sort, you got to do it with Steve Carter. Intercap keeps growing. Why? Because Intercap gets deals done. They service their own loans, long-term relationships, better for the customer. But most importantly, if you think about it, if you're a real estate agent, you don't get paid until the house gets sold. So if you're trying to find someone who's going to get deals done, you want to make sure you have a lender that's efficient, that gets deals done, and gets through all the junk. That's what Intercap does, and our personal loan officer is Steve Carter, and he's just simply the best. So, again, you can email me directly at dlock09 at gmail.com, and I'll get you to Steve. Or just call Steve correctly at 385-800-8528. That's 385-800-8528. But please make sure you tell him you're with Locked On so you get the Locked On discount. Intercap Lending, NMLS number 190465. For more information, visit intercaplending.com. Steve Carter's number is 385 Thanks so much for making Locked On your first listen every day. Locked On NBA Big Board is there for you, getting you ready for the upcoming NBA draft or the NFL season is right around the corner as well. Did you catch the NFL Top 50? That was super fun. Brought to you by Bet Online over at Locked On NFL. Who is the player that impacts the betting line 
the most. We're going to do the same thing for the NBA uh, coming up here shortly. All right, let's look at our um, and and really tip of the hat to B-Ball Index. It's a kind of a growing site. Not enough people probably use. Let's look at Malik Beasley off his last year, and the way they do it is they break this up into a bunch of different categories. Um, and kind of his offensive archetype, his defensive role, his talent areas, and, and so we'll run through them. Um, he is a movement shooter, they say, and his defensive role is low activity. That's not the greatest thing we've ever read. His top talent areas are perimeter shooting, playmaking, defensive rebound, and off-ball movement. Let's walk through it. His usage rate and touches per game were kind of mid-level, uh, 54th percentile for his position. Scoring per possessions was 59th percentile. He was not particularly ball dominant in any way. I love that stat. Like, gives you a really good idea of how you're going to form your team. They do a bunch of really creative things here at B-Ball Index. If you're not subscribed and you're a big NBA fan, I, I would give them the plug. Um, over there, so his total offensive load was in the 59th percentile. So if you, you know, if you suddenly brought him off our bench with Jordan Clarkson, it wouldn't be overbearing two super high level um, guys. His perimeter shooting's good. Three point shooting was a B plus. Pull up three point shooting a B. Catch and shoot a B. Above the break B plus. And he was not, and he did not play on a space floor. His openness rating was an F. Again, another super good contextual stat by B-Ball Index. Percentage of three-point attempts open was only 12%, which is classified as an F. Um, and so he did not get a great deal of open you know, shots out of Minnesota's system last year. Um, he is a predominantly catch-and-shoot player. 81% of his threes were catch-and-shoot, and 67 of them were above-the-break uh, three-point shots, which is kind of you know, teams try to take away the corner. Um, so he gets an overall perimeter shooting grade. He actually got an A by the time you put that together. So that's a real, you know, Beasley's got a real movement. And I thought this was interesting, and I would have never known this. This is where I think this site's so good. His off-ball movement gets him, attack rate was an A-. minus. Um, his speed rating is low. Um, his movement impact was actually low. Uh, his off-the-screen was an A. So his movement's coming where they set up a, uh, kind of a flare screen form or something of that sort, um, but I would have not. I never would have thought of him as a very much of a, a movement type player. I would think of him more of a spot up shooter. Um, there is now his obviously very little roll gravity, offensive rebounding, pretty non-existent. Doesn't do much of that. This was a little. The the other one would be shot creation um, and finishing, which is was I was kind of interested in on him and one-on-one and he his that is just not Malik Beasley's game like if and I was kind of wondering this like does he have another step like he's played with D'Angelo and Anthony Edwards and he was in Denver with Jamal Murray like does he have where he could be more of a creator it doesn't look like it total isolations for 75 possessions was super low his effective field goal percentage on those was a little below average his isolation turnover rate was um, good because he doesn't turn it over, so that but he also doesn't draw fouls, so it just doesn't seem like there's a lot going on in him uh, from an isolation standpoint. From a finishing standpoint, not super great either. Adjusted drives for 75 uh, possessions was a D plus. Um, unassisted kind of shots was an F. Um, does pass out of the drive a little bit, but his overall you know shot creation, getting to the rim was not a skill for Beasley. So you really have a a spot-up shooter. His overall rim shot making and finishing talent, according to B-Ball Index, were both an F. But what's interesting is some of his playmaking was really good. So if he's driving and playing ISO, he's actually playing it to move it. Um, his passing creation volume, which is uh, 
uh, in passing efficiency and passing versatility weren't bad, and his overall playmaking was a B. So that was um, interesting. There, the final one was rebounding. He does not. He is not a rebounder. Um, he gets a C minus on offensive rebounding, a C on defensive rebounding, and then defense wasn't great. Perimeter defense, his on ball defense got himself a grading of a D. His pickpocketing grading was a D minus. His passing lane defense was an F. His steals per seventy five were a C plus, and his deflections were um, an were in the fourteenth percentile, which got him an F. So he's not he has not had a defensive impact. As of yet. So that would be super interesting to see if he does. That's a real tribute to Will Hardy and the coaching staff if he starts to have um, that kind of impact. So what you really have, if you kind of look at his LeBron rating, um, another thing B-Ball Index does is take all the various advanced metrics grades. And, you know, he's an A-minus offensive player and he got an F for defense. But he got a B overall, which is, you know, probably what Malik Beasley is. You're bringing him in to be an offensive player shooter he's kind of the shooting version of a jordan clarkson who's a driver um his overall raptor grade was a b um his box plus minus was a c plus uh, so you know that's what malik is that's what the jazz got in that the other one is jared vanderbilt who's kind of caught a lot of people's eye and there's also all sorts of talk that he is beginning to be, get some trade value um as well malik beasley's gonna have trade value as a shooter right we just kind of outlined it that's what he is that's what he does um Jared Vanderbilt's interesting. They're just the off. You're going to see kind of the opposite here. Um, his overall perimeter shooting is just an F, absolutely non-existent. Did not make a pull-up three all year. His catch and shoots really limited. Um, his total usage, while true usage when on the floor, is is really limited as well. But his off-ball movements is amazing. He gets an A plus for uh, movement attack. He gets an A for speed rating. He gets an A minus for movement points. He gets an A for cut share. Like that's what he does. Now, if he can be your big and roll to the basket, he played predominantly power forward. It doesn't seem like he's you know, slipping on a switch, he seemed to have some impact. Um, but, the, you know, vertical stretch to the rim the way Rudy did, I don't think you're going to get that out of him. He's a little smaller. Um, offensively, like, there's no isolation game here. His finishing is not a, particularly elite. His ball making actually doesn't come out as badly as you would think. Um, but he's moving it most of the time. He gets it. Where he is incredible is his rebounding. I mean, offensive rebounding, he's just through the board. A's, 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 A's. Per 75 possessions, he's in the 93rd percentile. Overall per game, he's in the 97th percentile. So A, A, A. Contested offensive rebounds, which is a really interesting another stat there. Um, he gets a B plus. Putbacks, he gets an A minus 2.3 per 75 possessions, which is a lot. Um, so really good stuff there. And then on the defensive rebounding, he's got an A minus overall, an A in his per game defensive rebounding. Um, A-plus in what they call crashing skill. Not great on contested, right? He's smaller, so if it starts to get into the crowd, probably not going to be super. But his overall defensive rebounding skills an A-plus and his overall offensive rebounding talents an A. And then you get to his perimeter defense. On-ball perimeter defense for Vanderbilt's an A-minus. His loose ball uh, rate's not great, but his pickpocket rate was a B. His passing lane um, defense is an A. His steals per 75 possessions was an A-plus. His deflections were an A. His uh, defensive miles, which is the kind of amount he runs and moves, are all uh, elite levels. So that's what you're getting there with him. And then his interior defense isn't bad. Super interesting on how he guarded last year. He guarded point guards 14%, shooting guards 15%, small forwards 21%, power forwards 34%, and centers 17%. He was over 50 percentile in guarding a position in four of the five positions. So Vanderbilt's wildly... Um, uh, his ability to kind of go from one position to the other and the type of defenders. He did guard tier 
one player's 25.5%, which is kind of the most for him. So he's the, he's the flip side, right? His offensive rating on LeBron is pretty poor, but his defensive rating is an A-, minus. same thing with his Raptor um, look. So really, you know, just kind of a deeper dive on these two guys to make sure you know exactly what we're getting out of Beasley and out of Vanderbilt. All right, that is Locked On Jazz today. Friday, we'll do an Ask LOJ. Tomorrow, I don't know what we'll do yet. We'll look into it. Be totally honest. Don't, don't Who knows what trade rumor with Donovan Mitchell next? Thanks for making Locked On Jazz your first listen today. Thanks for sticking with us the whole way. Thumbs up on YouTube. Five stars on uh, whatever podcast app. Thanks for leaving comments in the comments section. We greatly appreciate it. And now for your second listen, go grab Locked On NBA Big Board and start getting ready for the NBA draft. Have a great one. Talk to you soon.